Luke tells us that Jesus did such amazing and wonderful things that people began to follow him. One day, a lawyer asked Jesus, what is the most important law? And Jesus said to him, you already know. The lawyer said, yes, we are supposed to love God and our neighbor. But who is our neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus told him a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And robbers came, hurt the man, and attacked the man, and took everything that the man had. And left him half dead beside the road. Then a great priest came from the temple of Jerusalem. And when he saw the man, he just passed by the other side of the road. And then a Levite, who was also from Jerusalem, came by. And when he saw him, he just passed by the other side. Then a Samaritan, who was not even from the same country, um, came down the road from Jerusalem. And when he saw the man, he had compassion and put medicine and bandages on his cut and put him on his donkey and stayed with him all night and told the innkeeper that he could stay for as long as he wanted and he would pay for it all after. Now, tell me, who was the neighbor to the traveler? The great priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Let's go pick up your... Oh, no, we're not supposed to. As uh, Susanna mentioned this morning, we have the privilege and honor to have with us today uh, Jamie McDonald. He is the CEO of Hope Hill. Uh, Hope Hill is an organization found, founded by our own denomination, CBWC, that provides a home for seniors in our city. So Jamie, it's a privilege to have you here, and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us this morning. And let me pray for you before Please. you start. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the amazing ways that you uh, are redeeming, restoring our city, our people here in Vancouver with a range of creative organizations. And this morning we have Jamie here. We pray for him, for his ministry, for Hope Hill, mm -hmm. and we pray for our hearts and our ears to be attentive to what you have for us this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be empowering him to communicate your truth to us. 
We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Pastor, obrigado. <laughs> Hi, folks. It is so good to be with you. I'm from a small town in northern Ontario, so I need to check in with you, okay? Where I come from, we speak French and English. I don't want But when somebody asks you a question, this means yes, okay? And this means no. So I just need, that's kind of that universal French, English, Tagalog, Portuguese, Spanish. So how are you all doing? Doing okay? Good. Anybody not doing so well? You don't have to hide it here now. Okay. Uh, I am a Canadian by birth and by passion. And uh, I can get into that, but we don't have time for it. But uh, I got a couple of quiz questions for you because it is Canada Day weekend. I don't know if you noticed that. So, ladies and gentlemen, who was the first Prime Minister of Canada? Sir John A. Macdonald. I am not related to Sir John A. Macdonald. Okay, just get that clear. Now, here's a tougher one. Canada, unlike the U.S., allows its prime ministers to be not born in Canada. Who was the last prime minister to be not born in Canada? When you all talk at once, I can't hear you, so just... <laughs> Anybody want to hazard a guess? Bennett, Bennett somebody said? The answer is not Bennett. Okay, good. <laughs> the answer is, surprisingly, John Turner, who was born in England and came to Canada as a young man with his family. And I set it up this way because in 1974, and I'm dating myself nearly 50 years ago, I took a year off university to work for John Turner in his office in Ottawa. And the intention was to better understand politics, government, service, with a view to leaning into that as a way of living my life. It was at the end of that year as I met with one of my mentors, not John Turner, but one of the mentors, and he said to me, Jamie, you shouldn't be a politician. <laughs> you care too much about people. Yeah. And he said, you shouldn't be a lawyer because lawyering isn't all about people. It's about process and negotiation. And he said to me, you should either be a social worker or a clergy member. And this is a person not from faith background. And as I reflect back on what he said to me at that time, I call that the call. Because later that summer, I confirmed in my heart that God wanted me to serve him in ministry. And that's been my guiding North Star for 50 years. I'll get into it a little more in a moment's time, but a few years, uh, few years ago, I retired from pastoral ministry and was given the lovely opportunity to become part of something called Hope Hill. And just in a brief 30 seconds, I want to talk about it. Hope Hill is a lovely ministry that brings low-cost housing to low-income seniors. In Vancouver, if you make less than $50,000 a year, you're considered a low-income person. If you are a couple in Vancouver and you make less than $80,000 a year, you're considered a low-income couple. If you need low-cost housing, Hope Hill provides that. And I use the word low-cost because it's not about affordability. It's about being able to pay your rent. Um, 
We're doing something amazing starting July the 17th. Uh, we are breaking ground on a new 64-unit housing facility designed to provide more inventory to low-income seniors, not just in Vancouver, but from wherever they might come. And two years from now, Lord willing, we'll build another 64 units. And five years from now, Lord willing, we'll build 100 units. We're in a, a pretty expansionistic time. Thank you for all of the help we're getting from so many places. And what I would say to you today is if you need help, and help is your own situation. I can't get into the details, but you'd like to consider how Hope Hill might help you. I'd be more than willing to speak with you. Uh, we made a decision in our board, and I totally appreciate the board I get to work with at this first building, because Hope Hill is both a mission and a ministry. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to live there. You don't have to become a Christian to live there. It's invitational, not obligational. So about a third of our people are people of faith, two-thirds are not. So is it a ministry or a mission? <laughs> or both? <laughs> and where I'm going with that is our next building, 64 units. We thought through our theology as well as the people we work with, and we were reminded, Paul says it in Galatians chapter 6, he says, do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith. And so we have set aside the first 32 doors in the next building for people from the household of faith to come join us in this mission, this ministry. And if that's something that interests you or catches your ear or somebody you know, meet me afterwards and we'll leave it there, okay? So that's, that's the, uh, the infomercial for today. I'm sorry, but that's, that's all you get kind of thing. We can, we can meet afterwards. So um, I want to start my talk today by saying thank you two times to you. Two times. Firstly, thank you First Baptist for sending to us some quality people over the years to work with us at Hope Hill. Uh, I want to mention names and you run the risk every time you do that of missing someone, so I'm going to apologize in advance, but I'm going to name some names anyway. Uh, David Connop has been a huge help to us. He emailed me yesterday and told me he heard I was preaching and they went to Prince George for the weekend kind of thing. <laughs> Linda Palmer has been a real asset to us and continues to be one as our board member. Uh, Doug Powell is a relatively new board member, but we're a better board because Doug is on it. Thank you, Doug. And Liebig finished with us. We sure appreciate the work you gave to us. Um, the chair for a couple of years, a few years back, was Myrna Sears, and maybe you know Myrna. Uh, in the years that I've been doing ministry, she is one of the finest, if not the finest, board chair I ever got to work with, so I think highly of her. We have residents, uh, the Daryl Johnsons live with us, uh, Bahia lives with us, we, I could go on and on. Uh, Larry Nelson is a very good friend of Hope Hill, and I want to just say thank you, First Baptist, for sending good people our way. And we'll always be open to a few more good people coming from First to help us out. The second thank you, though, is a little less familiar and a lot more theological. Thank you for being First Baptist Church of Vancouver. Do you realize what that means? You are First Baptist Church of Vancouver. You're first. Some people say, well, somebody had to be first. We're old. I said, no. I don't use the word first in the old sense. I use the word first in the responsibility sense. Like the firstborn son has a higher level of responsibility. My mother turned, my dad died when 
He was 59, my mother was 54. She was a widow for the next 35 years. Didn't want to live with anybody but herself. In fact, when I would say to her, come live with us, she'd say, oh, you'd cramp our style, or cramp my style. <laughs> she turned 85, and because of health deteriorating, she had to live with one of her three children. I have an older sister who, when approached by the idea, says, oh, mom and I are too much alike. It'll be like fireworks every day of the week at home. Can't do it. I have a younger brother who said to me, you're the older brother, you should do it, kind of thing. <laughs> and so as the firstborn son, as a point of privilege and responsibility, we took her into our home. You are first Baptist church. You have a place of leadership to the Baptist world and to the Vancouver city. And it behooves you, it behooves you to think not only of the moment for the now, but for the city you live in, the people you serve regionally, the globe that you are part of. You are First Baptist. And you're not just First, but you're First Baptist Church. And, and I kind of smile. I, I, uh, a few years back, I was at Regent College sitting on in a summer lecture by Dr. Gordon Fee. I don't know if you remember that name or know of Gordon. And Gordon started his lecture with this phrase, and it gave me tremendous liberty. He said, I'm Dr. Gordon Fee. I'm an ordained Pentecostal Assembly of Canada minister. We're going to be studying the book of 1 Corinthians. I declare my bias. I am a Pentecostal. I will see the scriptures through Pentecostal eyes. And I, we all kind of laughed. But he wasn't being funny. He declared his bias. And so this morning, as I stand here, I want you to know, and it's kind of the nickname I get across the, 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 the prairies even, I'm Jamie the Baptist. I am a Baptist. I see the world through Baptist eyes. One of the things that I expect when I come to church is that there would be a sermon or a preacher because Baptists believe in the primacy of preaching. You go to church and you don't get a sermon, it's kind of like going to a salad bar. You're like, Ugh, where's the beef? We didn't get what we needed today, kind of thing. That's a Baptist thing. Uh, in Baptist church furniture, and I know we're in a Presbyterian church, so I want to be respectful here. Baptist churches put the pulpit in the center, and it's usually higher than the communion table. Now, I know we have it over here, and I'm very respectful of that, but I'm just talking about traditional Baptist churches because Baptists believe in the primacy of preaching, that when we gather together, we hear a message from God. And that message is so important that we make it the core. We actually give it the volume of our attention. And so on that basis, let's turn our thoughts to the Word of God today and hear a message from God. We're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as I set it up for you, just a couple of background ideas. One is, Jesus taught 35, maybe 40 parables. He did it a lot. He used story to convey his ideas. Interestingly, in a survey done of readers, the parable of the Good Samaritan is the second best known parable of all he taught. Number one, the prodigal son. Number three, the parable of the soils. So the story we're looking at today is a familiar story. You probably all know it. Secondly, the story comes because, not by itself, it comes because of a dialogue that he had with a lawyer. 
It was provoked by this conversation with a lawyer. I have a question. Anybody here a lawyer? I, I need to be careful now. I, I, I want to be polite and respectful. Somebody is not willing to admit it, that's fine kind of thing. <laughs> I, I think most lawyers are pretty smart. I do. You don't get to be a lawyer by being dumb. You have to pass some exams, you have to go to university, you have to achieve some accomplishments, at least academically and intellectually. So I'm going to say that there are a lot of smart lawyers out there. But this lawyer that Jesus met on that day was not smart. Look at verse 25. There was a teacher of the law, a lawyer, who wanted to, my version says, test Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he wanted to get into a battle of wits with Jesus? He thought he could outsmart Jesus? This is one dumb lawyer. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so he gets into this back and forth. It's kind of like a ping pong match. He asks a question. Jesus gives him a question back or directs him. He asks another question. Jesus gives him a response back. And finally, in the midst of asking all these questions, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells him the story. It's interesting, in the middle of all that, the, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He still didn't get it. He, he's feeling cornered, but he wants to fight his way out. And so Jesus tells him this story. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, which one of these was the neighbor? And the lawyer kind of scratches his eyebrows, looks at the ground. And do you know what the expression mic drop is? Do you know what a mic drop is? Jesus says, go thou and do likewise, because there's nothing left to be said. What's in this story for us today? There's an old expression that said a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so let's break up our talk in the time we have into that two parts, the earthly side and then the heavenly side. Looking at the earthly side, as I look at this story, which is really believable, it's not so fantastic that you'd say that could never have happened. Jerusalem was a real city. Jericho was a real place. It was a distance of about 30 kilometers. People regularly traveled down that path. It was not the best place to be. You could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so in this story, which is believable, and I'm transmitting it to us today, who, who do you most identify with in this story? Some of us think, mm, well, am I supposed to be the good? There's actually four or five characters. Which one is most close to you? Aren't I supposed to be the good Samaritan? And I would say, I hope you are. Well, I'm not that good, kind of thing. But, but you know what? I'm wondering. I'm wondering if some of you in the room today, with humility, could say, yeah, I, I do try and be that person. When I find someone in need, I do my best to address that need. It's hard to admit that, to rally for it, but I'm going to bet you, I'm going to bet you, and I know I'm in a Baptist church, I should be careful about betting anything, but I'm going to bet you there's people in this church that you know that you'd say, they're the good Samaritan, they really are. I had a daughter, I have a daughter, our youngest was at university at UBC, and in her third year she asked and then was enabled to go to the University of Beijing to study in Chinese, a cross-cultural experience. It was a huge thing, exciting, but scared the bejiminis out of me. Uh, I'm her dad. 
You get into trouble in Canada, a phone call, and I'm there in 15 minutes. You need help. I know who to call to get the help you need. You go to Beijing, and I'm sorry, this is what, oh, 15 years ago already. I didn't have confidence in the police structure. I didn't have confidence in the governments. I just didn't know. I didn't trust it. And I'm not trying to assign uh, any kind of castigation there. I'm just saying, I can't help you if you get into trouble. And so I said to her, and she's a person of faith, I said, here's the hook. If you go to China, I need you to promise me you will connect with a Christian church. If it's underground, take the risk. Because I want to know that you're connected to people who can help you in a time of trouble. Because I have found that if you want grace, mercy, and aid, your best place to find it is amongst people who have experienced grace, mercy, and care. And that's why people come to church, even in their broken state, because they hope to find grace, mercy, and care. So I'm going to bet you today, in this room of this size, some of you probably could best identify with the Samaritan. But here's the challenge. It's hard for you to put your hand up. It's kind of like winning the award for the most humble person in the congregation, then losing it because you wore the button all year kind of thing. So I'm going to ask the rest of you, and this is your assignment for the end of the sermon during coffee hour, who do you know in this church that you would say, they're good? And it would be a lovely gesture on your part if you would go to them and say, when the preacher talked about somebody that did good things for hurting people, I thought of you. There's a little assignment for you. Maybe, maybe you can identify with the traveler on the side of the road who, in the midst of trying to live out his life, was T-boned in the intersection. Stripped, beaten, left half dead on the side of the road. And again, I would bet you in a room full of this size, there are people here today. If all the truth were to be known, you are stripped, beaten, and left half dead by life. The doctor's office phones on Friday at 4 o'clock saying, we need to see you on Monday. The tests come in and they're not good. You go into work and the boss calls you in at 3 o'clock on Friday and says, yeah, we've had some cutbacks and we're really sorry about this, but here's your severance check. Today's your last day. You've been raising your children as only a good parent could and something happens in that journey. And today when people ask you about your children, you have to admit you haven't talked to them in a year or two or three. And you can say, wow, it sucks to be you, but the truth is if you are stripped, half-beaten, left for dead on the side of the road, you have somebody in Scripture who understands that. Maybe, and this one hurts, uh, maybe you're the priest or the Levite, and nobody wants to wear this one, (laughs) myself included. The priest, somebody who was paid to be good, (laughs) The worship assistants say they're good for nothing, okay? They're good for nothing, but the priest, the the staff person, he's paid to be good. (laughs) I remember 
I was in university and I was standing in the bus stop and you remember those days in university where if you had a dollar in your pocket you felt like you were, you were doing well. And I'm standing in line and I got my backpack on and I noticed in front of me there's a person who by their dress I could tell was a member of the clergy. They had a collar on, black jacket, etc., etc. And as I'm standing in line waiting for the bus, I feel a tug in my elbow. And this person presents to me a card and the card says, I am a deaf mute, I need help, do you have any money? I'm 19 years old and I got a dollar in my pocket and, and I don't know that I did really well on that one, okay? Let's be honest. But what got really interesting was he worked his way down the line. He got to the priest wearing a black jacket, a collar, tugged on his shoulder. Hmm. Sometimes in life, things come into our lives that are interruptions. They don't fit the schedule. Maybe you're just preoccupied. You just got so many things going on, you didn't see it. Maybe, maybe you're just nonchalant. You really don't care. You saw it. Or maybe, even worse, you make aversion tactics. Remember the priest crossed to the other side of the road. He didn't just walk by it. He walked around it. And I'll bet, four fingers pointed here, one pointing out, there are times in our lives when probably we should say, yeah, yeah, identify with that person or that group. Nobody wants to go there, and I'm not going to ask anybody to tell you that you are there. <laughs> you decide for yourself. Is there something in your life that you are missing, whether by preoccupation, discontinuation, or even avoidance? Hmm. There's one other person in the story, and I want to finish with that one because it's, it's actually pretty funny. Um, in verse uh, 35, uh, there's somebody called the innkeeper. The innkeeper. And you see, he says, yeah. And I say, yeah, could you be the innkeeper? This innkeeper is kind of a minor role. He's probably not up for an Academy Award, but he's in the story. And basically, it works like this. The Samaritan takes care of this wounded person and comes to the inn and does bangs on the door and says, I need help. The innkeeper does what he's supposed to do. He gives him a room, but the next day when the Samaritan has to leave, the Samaritan has the audacity to say, could you take care of him for a while? I'll give you some money, but this person's not ready yet to walk on their own two feet. And the innkeeper takes it on. And I'm going to say to you, many in the room today, is Jesus knocking on the door of your life today saying, I have a job for you. I have an assignment for you. Oh, I can't do that. I'm an innkeeper. That requires a nurse. I have a job for you. Can you take this on for a little while? Well, I can do it for a little while, but I don't have a lot of resources. And I'm not. Jesus is an incredible bookkeeper. He knows what you put out, and he will not leave you shortchanged. And when he comes back, he will make it up. And I wonder today if there's a knock on your door saying, I have an assignment for you. I feel ill-equipped. I still have an assignment for you. I'm not sure I can do it for I have an assignment for you. 
That's the earthly side. This is a real story with real people in real situations. There's also a heavenly side. I remember I said earlier that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Let's look at the heavenly side of this, and there's many ways of seeing it, but let me just throw a really big balloon idea over the midst of us and say, as I read this story, it really is a story about how God treats us. Hear me out. When we are at our worst, Jesus finds us. And instead of walking around us, he steps down to us and pulls us to himself and says, come here, I, I want you. The gospel is this, that when we are at our worst, whatever that worst means to you, when we think we are at our worst, Jesus finds us. And instead of walking around us, he stops and steps down to us to take, him, take us to himself. Today, I don't know where you are at. For some, you may be leaning in to the point you're ready to tip over. Some may be leaning back, worried that the truth will be revealed. When we are at our worst. I remember a few years ago, uh, I was a pastor, and a young couple came to me and asked me to perform their wedding. And I got to know them over the few months that we had in between the desire and the actual ceremony. And I, honestly, a, I was, they were a delightful couple. I mean, energetic, passionate, smart, committed, hardworking, career-oriented. The two of them I thought were going to make a fantastic couple together. And so they were married, and about a year later, I, they were part of the congregation. I, I did the pastoral thing. I kind of checked in and said, hey, how's, uh, how's married life treating you? And they were bubbling with enthusiasm. They said, well, it's really, really pretty good, except for one thing. And, and I said, oh, really? What's, what about? And... Um, they said, we're getting on each other's nerves when it comes to the whole challenge of figuring out that domestic duty stuff. Who vacuums? Who takes out the garbage? Who does laundry? Who shops? Who pays for this? Who does that? And I said, really? How? Said, no, it's getting to the point of irritation, Pastor. So I said, well, come on by. Let's grab a coffee and we'll talk about it. And so they came in and I listened and listened. And they're both career people with cha-ching ability. And I did the unchristian thing, because no Christians would ever do this. I said, have you guys ever thought about getting a maid? And they're like, oh, we're Westerners. We don't employ people. <laughs> and I said, well, you make more money than most people do. I think you could try getting a maid and see if that helps you in your domestic behavior. And so they got a maid, and the maid came in every Friday from 9 to 3. The maid did all of the washing, all of the floors, cleaned all of the ovens, fridge, utensils, that kind of thing, uh, dusted, did windows, did, did, it, did the whole nine yards, and they paid her good money for it. And uh, I thought, oh. So a couple of months later, I encountered the fellow in the grocery store, and I said to him, so you got a maid? Yeah, how's it work? He says, really, really pretty good. And I said, really, why? He says, six days of the week, it's fantastic, but Thursday night... Oh my gosh, there's a lot of anxiety. And I said, what do you mean Thursday night a lot of anxiety? He says, my wife says, the maid is coming tomorrow. She can't see us like this. we got to clean this mess up. <laughs> if people knew. <laughs> the story of the Good Samaritan is 
when you or I are at our worst, beaten, stripped, half dead, ashamed, whatever word you want to use, when you know that nobody would be proud of you, Jesus finds you. Instead of walking around you, he stops and steps down to you and says, come here. That's the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we gather because it's good for two or three to gather together in your name. There's huge benefit from it. Thank you for worship, which uh, fills our lungs and inspires our spirits. Thank you for it. Thank you for scripture, which stands the test of time and speaks into our hearts. Thank you for preaching from whomever it is delivered that, that there is this belief that God has a message for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we hear what you have for us today. And we own our part, but we also hang on with ferocity to the grace and mercy of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this mercy would flow, that people would be refreshed, refreshed again with the kindness of the Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.